special thanks to all who have planned, helped, prepared, from setting up of tables to singing, preparing food, history room open, and staff, Sarah and uh, David, all the musicians, Becky, I am grateful to the Lord. Uh, in our hour of worship this morning, we have endeavored to take a brief look back at some things that were part of our heritage and part of our history, and give God the glory for that. It is not the, the, the glory for those things, as Becky so well put it, belongs to the Lord. All power belongs to Him. All glory belongs to Him. Anything accomplished at 905 Wake Chapel Road belongs to the grace of God, and He is the one deserving of praise. We have taken a few glimpses back. And also in our music and in the message this morning, uh, we, have, we want to take a look at the ultimate homecoming. The ultimate homecoming. Some of the blessings associated with the ultimate homecoming. This is a grand time to me, and I trust it is to you. I hope you've been blessed uh, by hearing the music and the testimonies and, and, and uh, all that has gone on here this morning. I hope you've been blessed by that. And I hope it has stirred memories for many of you. And if you were not around here in all those years, I hope that it will stir praise in your heart for what God has done. And now I want us to look forward to an ultimate homecoming. As wonderful as this one is, there's one that's better that's coming. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me please to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. If in the rush to get out of home to be here on time this morning, you forgot to pick up your Bible and didn't have time, there's a few Bible and I would invite you to look at that with us please. The Bible is prominent at the heart of what we do here at Wake Chapel. Hope that you will bring your Bible to worship service when you come. There are eight verses, and in these eight verses that open the 21st chapter, there are blessings that are associated with the ultimate homecoming. Things that we don't have now, but that we look forward to. And I want to mention these. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, speak to our hearts through this ministry of the Spirit of God. Uh, we have your word open before us. And uh, we have in our hearts gratitude that we do not have to depend on any man or woman to finally interpret the Word of God. I pray that the ministry of God the Holy Spirit would take the things in the Word of God and make them real to us. Give us illumination, give us understanding, and then give to us the enabling to live and to rejoice in the light of what we see. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> The ultimate homecoming in heaven is one of the most difficult subjects for any preacher to preach on. Now, even to hear myself utter those words sounds strange to me. A preacher finds it difficult to preach on heaven. Yes. And let me suggest two reasons for that. The first one is a biblical reason. There is a biblical reason why it is difficult to preach on heaven. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I have not seen nor ear heard. Okay? Eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Has God prepared heaven for his, his people? Yes. The word of God says through the apostle Paul, it hasn't, we haven't seen it, we haven't heard it, it hadn't even entered into our heart all that God has prepared for us. Biblical reason why it's difficult to preach on heaven. And then there is a second reason 
for the difficulty, and that is the misconception, misconceptions plural, that many, many folks have about heaven. Is there anyone in this room that hasn't heard a story about St. Peter sitting at the gates of heaven? Or, or some, have, some of us have heard the idea that the first thing that happens when a person gets to heaven is they are fitted with a pair of wings. You ever heard that one? And on the other side, first thing that happens in perdition is people are fitted with a long tail so that they can be like some men suppose Satan to be. Billy Nicholson was a great Irish evangelist. He was preaching in Great Britain on one occasion, and at the close of his service, he opened the program for questions. There was a scoffer present, a young man seated back far away from the pulpit area, and he thought he would embarrass uh, Mr. Nicholson, and so the scoffer yelled out, Mr. Nicholson! How am I, when I get to heaven, how am I going to get my shirt on over my wings? Well, Mr. Nicholson ignored him, paid no attention to the young man. Very shortly, the young man shouted out the same question. Mr. Nicholson, from the back, he says, when I get to heaven, how am I going to get my shirt on over my wings? Again, Billy Nicholson ignored him. But it wasn't but a moment or two that uh, the young man shouted out his question a third time. And by this time, a number of folks who were present were embarrassed. And then two, the scoffer had gained one or two to join him. And the evangelist felt he had to respond in some fashion. But rather than looking directly at the young man, Mr. Nicholson turned to the congregation and said to them, you know that young fellow sitting back there in the back, is worried about how he's going to get his shirt on over his wings. He ought to be worried about how he's going to stuff his tail into his trousers. <laughs> now, Mr. Nicholson was not deliberately disseminating erroneous information. He knew better. He was simply responding to a scoffer. But it's illustrative. Many people have erroneous ideas about heaven. Revelation 21 deals with the subject of the eternal state and or heaven. And I hope that in looking briefly at these first eight verses, it will help us to order our thinking a bit more correctly as we think about heaven, as we think about the ultimate homecoming. We know that chapter 21 of the book of Revelation deals with heaven, with the eternal state. How? 21.1 And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. <clears throat> these we read before this morning. Had David read them for us in our reading with the hymn. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Would you notice how that verse opens? And I saw. Now, if you will turn back just probably one page in your Bible and look with me at chapter 19 for a second. I want you to notice one phrase, three words used a number of times before we get to chapter 21. Chapter 19, verse 11 begins with the words, and I saw. Chapter 19, verse 17 begins, and I saw. The same thing for chapter chapter 19 and verse 19, and I saw. Would you look at the opening words of chapter 20? And I saw. Drop down to verse 4. And I saw. 
verse 11 of chapter 20. And I saw, verse 12, and I saw, and then chapter 21, verse 1, and I saw. Every one of these expressions comes in chronological order. Therefore, we know that when we read, and I saw in chapter 21, uh, we have come to the eternal state. We have come to heaven as it will be for us. These verses in chapter 21 come after the tribulation period. They come after the second advent. They come after the millennium. They come after Satan's final revolt at the close of the millennial kingdom. They come after the great white throne judgment and after the renovation of the heavens and the earth. So in chapter 21, we are moving beyond time into eternity. We are moving into heaven and the ultimate homecoming. And I want to list and take brief note of some of these blessings of the ultimate homecoming. Chapter 21, verse 1. First heaven, let me just pull out these words. We've already read the verse twice. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away. That's the first blessing. First heaven, first earth have passed away. You know, folks, we're not going to stay in North Carolina forever. Now, I sometimes, I'm sure with many of you, have said, I'm torn, Tar Heel born, Tar Heel bred, and when I'm dead, I'll be Tar Heel dead. I'm sure many of us have said that. I have. But as great a place as North Carolina is, and I frankly think it's the greatest state in the Union. I've only lived in two, but I think this is the greatest state in the Union. Wouldn't want to live anywhere else. As great a place as this is, may I share this truth with you? Heaven's better. Heaven's better. Before we go on, I would like to draw an application from this. In the Old Testament, time after time after time, the children of Israel, it's stated there that they dwell in tents. You know what a tent signified for the nation of Israel? It meant that they were pilgrims. It meant that they were strangers on this earth. I'll not ask you to turn there, but just a couple of verses, and let me share them with you from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. By faith, Abraham sojourned in the land of promise as in a foreign country. In the land of promise, Abraham sojourned as if it were a foreign country. And the text of Scripture says, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and their heirs. The next verse in Hebrews 11 says, Abraham looked for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. Abraham wasn't looking for an earthly home. He was looking for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. And then two verses later from what I have read, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and having been persuaded of them and having embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims here. Dear friend, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a pilgrim here. We shouldn't be too attached to this world. We shouldn't be settled here. It is not our final home. So, first, there is a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, just one further note. Look at that word new. Here it means new in quality. It doesn't mean new in the sense of recent. For you see, the earth is never completely destroyed. We read in the New Testament, the earth will be renovated. It will be resurrected, so to speak. But the earth will never be completely destroyed. But it will be renovated so there's a new earth. So, 
One of the blessings of the ultimate homecoming, a new heaven and a new earth. Second blessing is in the last phrase of verse 21, of chapter 21, verse 1. I'm big part. 21, 1. There is no longer any sea. Does that sound strange to you? Some of you fishermen are looking worried. I would suggest you get all your fishing, your boating, and your skiing done now. Please, not on Sunday, though. More seriously, there are several ways to understand this expression, this phrase, no longer any sea. Some understand it symbolically, and that isn't all that unusual. They suggest John was viewing the sea as did some ancient civilizations. Some ancient civilizations viewed the sea as the enemies, all their enemies. They viewed as the sea. So therefore, it would mean no more enemies or we could understand it literally and say that it means no more sea in the normal, literal sense and meaning of just no more sea. Now, we can't be dogmatic, and one reason we can't is because in chapter 22 it mentions uh, a river. Okay, uh, But I am inclined to take the expression no more, no longer any sea, literally. And therefore, this would represent a complete climatic change. No rain. The we would, it would go back to the Edenic condition, where moisture, mist rose up from the ground to water the earth, and that's what I understand is going on here. No more sea. No need of that water that way. But like Eden, mist rose up out of the ground and watered the earth. Third great blessing here is the loveliness of the environment. Verse two. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. What a description that is. Made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. I believe that a woman is never more beautiful than she is on her wedding day. All brides, I think, are beautiful. One reason I love weddings is because I get to see her first. The door opens and there she is. And you got to wait until she comes down the aisle to see her. All brides are beautiful, but really there'll be no comparison. Any bride will pale in comparison to this city. And by the way, I believe that it is a literal city. Who are the inhabitants of the city? Who lives in this city? Well, the Old Testament saints live there. This is the city that Abraham was looking for. He looked for a city with foundations. We quoted it a moment ago. Builder and maker is God. This is the city that Abraham looked for. You remember that in, in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. This is the place. This is the place. Church age saints. Tribulation saints also there. All resurrected to life will inhabit this city in resurrected and glorified bodies. So we have the first three blessings of the ultimate homecoming. A renovated earth a change in climatic conditions, and an indescribably beautiful environment. The fourth great blessing of the ultimate homecoming will be the presence of God. The presence of God. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. The desire of the heart of God has been and remains that he dwells with men. That he would fellowship with men. 
You ever stop to consider that? The eternal God desires fellowship with those He's created. That's mind-boggling to me. Remember how I read through the Scriptures? More than once, God made known this particular desire. To Adam and Eve, what was His question? Where art thou? Why? He wanted to be with them. Where art thou? His desire to fellowship with men. He constructed the tabernacle for Israel. And then we read in the Old Testament, let me build a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell with them. God wants to dwell with His people. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word was made flesh. And those next words are, and dwelt among us. God dwelling among His people. All these things that I have mentioned, from Adam and Eve to the tabernacle to Jesus coming in the flesh, all these things point to a time when God will dwell in the midst of His people in the personal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not believe that we will ever see God the Father. We will see God the Son and enjoy fellowship with Him. The fifth blessing is found in verse 4. And He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no longer any death. There shall be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. You know, there are some things that can be learned from a study of uh, the original languages. One here is that it says God shall wipe away every tear. And the way that's written in the, the original language, singular. God shall wipe away every single tear. Death will vanish with sorrow, with crying, with pain. It may well be in a crowd of folks like this that pain and sorrow is your portion today. There are verses of Scripture I could mention at this time, but a hymn comes to my mind. Jesus knows all about our troubles. What is it that's bothering you this morning? Something in your life? Something in your family? Something in your job? Something some other way? You're not alone in it. Jesus knows all about our troubles. And then there will be a day when we no longer suffer any. Did you notice the things that are described here are negative? They're described negatively. Look at it. Wipe away all tears. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. No more pain. The former things have passed away. They're gone. I think Anne Graham Lotz is a fine Christian lady and a fine Bible teacher. One of her books she added to this list. And I'm glad she did. Once in a while I use this along with the verse of Scripture uh, in a memorial service. Anne Graham Lotz added saying, there's a day, you're talking about heaven, there'll be no more bombers, no more fiery infernos, no more broken homes, broken hearts, broken lives, and broken dreams. No mental retardation. No physical handicap. No muscular dystrophy. No multiple sclerosis. No more blindness, lameness, deafness, sickness. No more Parkinson's disease. No more heart disease. No more diabetes. No more arthritis. No more cataracts. 
No more paralysis. No more cancer. No more AIDS. No more guns in schools. No more car bombs. No more missiles. No more war. No more separation. No more scars. And she hasn't done more than just scratch the surface of the things there'll be no more of in heaven. But I love her list. About the only positive statement about heaven made in verse 5, if you look at it, He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. But what? What's new? Well, the text doesn't really tell us. I will make all things new. Only God could say that. As we read through the book of Revelation, we do find a few new things. We know that we'll have a new name. There'll be a new song for us to sing. There'll be a new Jerusalem around us. There'll be a new earth under us. And there'll be a new heaven over us. You doubt all these things, the negatives as well as the few positives that I've mentioned? Well, look at verse 5. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right. Notice, for these words are faithful and true. God is going to do exactly what He has said. The sixth blessing, verse verse 6. And He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. What is in view here, I believe in verse 6, is total and complete satisfaction of every desire. We're going to have more say, I wish I had that. He's the beginning and the end and everything in between. He is all that. And he, therefore He can say, I will make all things new and I will satisfy fully. Can you honestly say today, I have full satisfaction in my life. You thirsty this morning? Come to Him. He's the only one who can give you the water of life. And He will do so freely without cost. The Old Testament Isaiah proclaimed, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, let him come unto Me. Isaiah 55. Would you notice also in verse 6 the phrase, It is done. This is the third time the Lord Jesus has said these words. The first time on the cross, referring to the completion of the work of redemption, He said, it is finished, it is done. Revelation chapter 16, He says, it's done, referring to the complete destruction of Babylon. And here in verse 21, referring to the completion of all the purposes of God, new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, it's all done. It's done. The seventh great blessing of the ultimate homecoming. Verse 7, He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. You know, the word that jumps off the page in verse 7 to me is the word inherit. If we are candid this morning, there's not anyone in the sound of my, within the sound of my voice who isn't concerned about what you're going to inherit. Some sitting here would think, Man, I sure wish I knew what was in my daddy's will. Or I wish I knew what was in my mother's will. Or I've got this spinster, spinster aunt. And uh, she was extremely wealthy. And she's getting up in years. I wonder what's in her will. Now y'all can look at me like, yeah, that's somebody else, but it's not me. Get off of that, will you? You're interested in what you inherit. 
Well, we're talking here about a heavenly inheritance. What is it? Well, it's interesting because as we've seen in Revelation, other places in the Bible use negative terms to describe our inheritance. Peter says, begotten again into an inheritance. And then he describes it for us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says it is incorruptible, it is undefiled, and it fadeth not away. Heavenly inheritances will be nothing like the ones on earth. What we have here is corruptible. It's defiled. And it doesn't fade away. And I know that we've got almost 100% of people that take on that last one real quick. What we have here fades away. When was the last time you looked at your bank account? Well, we'll talk about that some other time. Eighth and the final blessing of the ultimate inheritance. Ultimate homecoming is in verse 8. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake, of, the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It sounds strange to call that a blessing. Yes, but it is. We will spend eternity with the redeemed. There won't be any need of burglar alarms. There won't be any need for law courts. We will spend eternity in the presence of the Lord Jesus with the redeemed. Now, I need to say one further note about verse 8. This text does not say that anyone who has ever committed one of these sins is permanently excluded from heaven. I believe this verse characterizes the lives. Well, let me back up. I believe this verse speaks of those whose life is characterized by these things. And a life that is fully characterized by these things. I believe that's the reference here. My remarks this morning have been about heaven and about the ultimate homecoming. What's the most important thing about heaven? Perhaps a little story will serve to answer the question. There was once a little girl whose mother was very, very sick. So sick, in fact, that the little girl had to go and stay with friends during her mother's illness. The illness went on and on and on. It was prolonged a great length of time and finally ended with the death of the mother. And because of the little girl's tender age and because of the length of the mother's illness, the father thought that, well, she's so young, so much time has passed, she hasn't been at home, maybe she has forgotten about her mother. And so there came a day when he decided to pick up his daughter at the friend's house and take her home. The little girl walked into the house and immediately went to every room. Bedrooms, kitchen, den. Every room in the house. And she came running back to her father with the question, where's mother? The father went on to explain what had happened. And the little girl cried out, Take me away! Take me away! If mother's not here, I don't want to be here. Whatever else heaven is, 
If Jesus is not there, I think we'd say words similar to what that little girl said. I don't want to be here. He is the center. He is supreme. There's a hymn in our hymn book with the words, The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. Ladies, been married. When you walk in on your wedding day, what are you looking at? Boy, this dress is pretty good, isn't it? Huh? That's great. Uh-uh. You're looking at the face of your bridegroom. That song goes on to say, I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace. I think personally, and it is just a conviction of mine, I, I think personally that heaven with all of the things that we've mentioned and all the things that are beyond our comprehension, I think we'll be looking at Jesus, not the other things. The bride, that is the church, eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. That is the ultimate homecoming. When your life is over, are you prepared to be with Jesus? You know, preparation must be made. Not everybody on this earth is going to go to heaven. But those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Somewhere along the way, by the grace of God, we have to overcome our pride and acknowledge, Lord, I am a sinner. Thank You for dying for me. And then follow that up by saying, right now, dear Lord, I'm trusting You as my personal Savior. That's the only way you will ever be at this kind ultimate homecoming and see the Lord Jesus. Where are you today? You know, and the Lord knows. Somebody, I believe, within the sound of my voice, needs to tell the Lord Jesus today, now, thank you for dying for me. I'm trusting you as my personal Savior. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to sing a hymn. You can do that right where you sit. Right now. May God speak to that heart and that individual that needs to do that right now. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, with finite minds we can understand only an infinitesimally small amount about the glories of heaven. We are encouraged. We are blessed. Joy wells up in us to understand the little that we do understand. But help us to know, dear Lord, that there's preparation not only that You have made. I go and prepare a place for You. You said that. But there's preparation that we must make. That is to trust You. Somebody, I believe, Someone, somebody needs to trust you today. Speak to their hearts and help them to make that decision right now. I ask it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lunch is prepared. Please. Accept our invitation to stay for lunch. Be a wonderful time of fellowship. And please don't be in a hurry. 
If you leave, you're just going to go outside and get wet in the rain. Enjoy lunch. Greet one another in the Savior's name. Fellowship with one another. Isn't that what homecomings are usually about? Just seeing people that we love and having a word with them. I hope you'll do that today. Guests, you are absolutely welcome beyond measure. Because I won't have another opportunity to say it to all those who have helped in any way. The ladies who've received the food and uh, their flowers out. Um, Our greeters helped us this morning. Sarah was in our history room. And by the way, I would urge you, I hope if you haven't visited the history room, if you don't have time to do it, make a time to do it. It is a delightful experience. It will give you a lot of information, background-wise, pictures, things that are there from our heritage and our history. But to all who've had a part, thank you. God bless you. David McCreary is coming to dismiss us with prayer and return thanks so that when we get down to Fellowship Hall, we won't have to wait. The blessing is being asked now so the line can form and move right on through. And the ladies will... Give us a word of instruction about how they want us to do that. Would you stand with me, please? David? After David prays and blesses the food and we are dismissed, uh, our ladies will pick up with the keyboards and uh, play uh, a couple of verses while we make our way out and make our way to Fellowship Hall. David, pray for us, please. One of the responsibilities... The Board of Deacons is for the Deacon of the Day to help count the offering. So I'll be doing that along with one of the members of the Board of Finance. So if someone would be kind enough to send me a piece of fried chicken (laughs) and perhaps a deviled egg or two, I'd appreciate it. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for the wonderful homecoming service we've been able to enjoy today. It's been a special time reflecting on how you've shown your favor on Wake Chapel Church over the years. And we've also had the privilege to get better acquainted with longtime friends and members of the church. Father, we want to thank you because one day those of us who know you as Lord and Savior will have an ultimate spiritual homecoming. On that day, we will enter into heaven and get to spend eternity with you. Lord, we want to thank you for our mission of the week Bible broadcasting network that airs teaching programs and inspirational music 24 hours a day. We pray for you to meet the continued financial and personnel needs and technical needs of of BBN in the days ahead. And God, I do want to take this opportunity to ask your blessing on the time we're about to spend together enjoying food and fellowship. We thank you for your provision of the food. We thank you for the labors that have gone into that, all that was involved in preparing today's meal. And may our time together be pleasing and honoring to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.